Manchester will always be a very special place to me because there's so many memories here and so many more to make as well. Prince William were kind of... Our paths crossed a few times through football and I accidentally slipped and wiped them out. Sitting next to boy George washing dishes and he's singing Karma Chameleon. I'm so like, surreal. What is going on? This is Show on the Road, brought to you by Autotrader. We're driving famous faces on a personalised road trip, visiting the places that help shape them and hearing how the locations turn them into who they are today. We've matched each celebrity with a car chosen specifically for them. So, join me, Alex Leguie, as we get this show on the road. I'm about to meet former England footballer Jill Scott, who had a fantastic 2022 after winning the Euros with the Lionesses and then ending the year on a real high as she was crowned Queen of the Jungle in I'm a Celeb. We've come to Jill's adoptive home of Manchester, where she spent eight years playing for Man City and is amazingly still working here now as, uh, well, serving guests in her own coffee shop. So we've matched Jill with a Mercedes G-Class. So I'm really excited to see what she thinks about this very impressive beast. No way. Is it actually a G-Wagon? Yes. This is like my favourite car in the entire world. <gasps> wow. This is so nice. Woo! Well, hello. Oh my God, I'm so excited that this is the car. <laughs> this is like my favourite car in the whole world. What do you think? And I knew it was going to be green, so I went for a green jacket. You match it perfectly. <laughs> oh my God, this is so nice. So when I got out of the jungle, I got one of these for a couple of months. No, and did I you? loved it, yeah. But I was trying to get one. I said, will somebody just let us drive one for like literally a day? Because I just think they're brilliant. Wow. But yeah, it's my favourite car in the whole world. Is so, it? Yeah. They said don't get into cars with strangers, but I know you, so it's okay. So yeah, this is lovely. Isn't it nice? It is. Are you liking driving it? Yeah, I love it. So far. So nice. I know. It's got all sorts of exciting features, so, you know, are you warm enough? Yeah, because it's got heated seats. Yeah. 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 I've got a story about heated seats. So I took my grandma for a drive once, and we were driving for ages, and she went really quiet. And I was like, Grandma, are you okay? And she was like, yeah, I'm fine. I said, I've heated your seat for you. And she was like, I'm so glad you've told us that. I thought I'd weed myself. <laughs> That was the first time I realised about heated seats. So we're on our way to initially to Platte Lane. Platte Lane. Your former training ground. Yeah. Yeah. What? It just makes a smile look. I just smile when you say Platte Lane. Really? Yeah, it's great memories. I think when I first signed for Manchester City, so I was playing at Everton. Everton had just started going professional, but we weren't like full-time professional. Whereas when I heard that Manchester City were kind of reforming the women's team, they had these big plans. Um, Platte Lane was where we like first went. Um, and yeah, it's an amazing facility. I wonder if it'll look any different though yeah. to when I first so went So you haven't there. been back for a while? No, I haven't been back. I think it has changed a little bit. What I remember vividly about it in my mind is when we pulled up into the car park, there's like a a football cage mm -hmm. which is like a really small football pitch and after training our manager who was Nick Cushion at the time 
um, we were so lucky that we got him. He came from the boys' game, and he'd always let us have like a little game of five-a-side in this cage. So it was like tricks and flicks. I didn't have many of them, but it was just... I think sometimes football can be too serious when you, you're full-time professional, but he always let us have that just going back to being kids and just having a mess about in the cage. Did you, as a child, was it football straight away? Yeah, yeah. From my earliest memories, like, my grandma reckons that on my christening day when I was six months old, my legs were just doing this the whole time. <laughs> and she reckons, I don't know if she's telling the truth, that she said to my mum, she's going to be a footballer. Really? Which is mad because girls weren't even playing football. Yeah, so, so did you get it from anyone? Is there anyone in your family who was a keen footballer? Um, everyone tries to have a little claim to it, I think. They're right. like, I used to play at school. My dad used to play, to be fair. Um, my brother's quite a good player. My brother was always faster than as it used to do in my head in. He still is. But yeah, I think it was just a mixture. My family, my mum used to do like a little bit of running. My dad was quite fit. So I think the fitness gene was yes. probably in us. But as my career went on, that used to really annoy us because people used to say, yeah, well, you're naturally fit. But I had to like, if you imagine being 35 and having to keep up with 18, 19 year olds, yeah. I had to do a lot of work on my fitness. So I was like, I know I'm naturally fit, but I am working hard as well. Yes. So, yeah, there was probably a, an element of, of both, like, genetics, but then also working hard as well. And that sort of work ethic as well, I think if you're around it or your family has it and it becomes a bit of a natural thing, did yeah. you find that? Yeah, definitely. My mum's, like, very fit and healthy now. Like, at the noises when I go home, I'm like is there no chocolate in this house? And she's like, I've got a bit of dark chocolate. And I'm like, it's just not the same, is it? But everything was like light butter, yeah. light Philadelphia. Yeah. Like, so I think we're always kind of like quite healthy in that sense. And even now, like having a glass of fizzy pop to me is a treat. Yes. Because we didn't really have it as kids. Yeah. So I think we were grown up in kind of probably a a healthy lifestyle without really knowing it at the time. What do you think your strongest memories are of your Platte Lane and, and... Yeah, Platte Lane, my memories, my first two years at Manchester City, I fell in love with the game all over again. I really did. I remember turning up and I was like, oh my God, we'll get our kit washed and our kit was just ready for us. We went wow. into Platte Lane, we had breakfast and I was like, is this really my full-time job? And this is at the age of 26, so I'd had a lot of years of travelling. But for the first time when I got to Platte Lane, I was like, I'm settled, I'm living in Manchester, I haven't got these long journeys to do. And it just felt professional. And mm. I was just so, honestly, every morning I woke up, I was just buzzing that I was a full-time footballer. So, yeah. Did you feel like you, you mentioned luck earlier, did you feel like you carved your luck were you just permanently grateful like what did that mean to you in that sense yeah I was always grateful I'm still grateful for every opportunity I get now like I'd like to think that um if people meet us I think I'm I'm grounded and mm. I think it's just because I do think along the way of any journey sport and journeys work journeys there is an element of luck but yeah. I always believe that if you don't try and cut corners, if you treat people right in day-to-day -day life, whether it's your manager, whether it's someone you pass on the street, if someone's struggling, if you can help them. Yeah. And I think you kind of just create your own luck along the way. And I've always been a big believer in 
what did I want my career to look at? Yeah, it's great that I've represented England over 150 times. It's a, a massive honour for me, but I think also that element of just, if I give 100%, wherever I get to, I'll have no regrets. Yeah. And that was always the case. And when you talk about Platt Lane, it was a, a chance for me to get my head down, just put all my energy into football. And I was like, whatever that outcome is, I know that I'm in a position where I can eat well, I can sleep well, I can look after myself, I can train full time. And I knew I was going to get like every ounce of ability out of myself. Yeah. Wherever that road ended, it w that would have been the case, but I knew I would have given my all. And I think that's why Platt Lane is so kind of relevant to the, the start of my professional football journey. So we're now not far at all. How are you feeling? Even coming down, you know what I'm getting as we're driving down this road, like a bit of anxiety because oh, really? my timekeeping was never great. <laughs> so I was always a little bit late for training. And So normally when you're down here, you're powering. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to be late. I'm going to be late. And as we just come past here on the left, I could always see wow. if like the girls, there's the cage, the cage is still so here. on our left for our listeners, we've got the pitch. Yeah. Talk us through what you can see. Yeah, so on the left is the main pitch. So okay. that was where we would have like a few friendly games just between ourselves. And then I can see the football cage as well. And then also the big indoor facility. So yeah, that even that indoor facility, I'm just thinking about all the passing drills we used to do all kind of the when I went to Manchester City I was opened up to this whole technical side of the game that I'd never really realized okay um so I used to just hang on every word that Nick Cushion used to say to us because I was learning all the time but yeah there's that cage I'd love to go and have a kick about if you brought your boots oh <laughs> I was hoping you'd lend me a pair <laughs> mine will be too big for you I take a size nine in football boots do you yeah so I'm a size eight in trainer and nine in football boot they'd definitely be too girl, big yeah so yeah this would be me like I'm just thinking I've got a coffee in my hand probably a half a banana because I'm trying to have a little snack as I come into training <laughs> but yeah just frantically looking for a car park space and thinking I've got to run into training there's actually football going on that's great to see though because already we've seen the cage the outdoor facility another outdoor facility which is the AstroTurf pitch and then you've got the indoor facility as well. So there's so much room just to play football. And that's why it really felt like home being here. It really did. And just watching the players now, when you spend time, I know you do a lot with upcoming players. Can you spot talent or can you spot people who, who have potential like quite quickly and easily? I always tend to look for potential really and... I used to like coaching the kind of the players that weren't the best. And if I could see that I taught them one thing, even like a little six-year-old checking her shoulder before she receives the ball, I would be so fulfilled after that yeah. coaching session. The sun's out. We're in yeah. Manchester. The sun's out. But just look how happy people are playing football. And I think that's the, that's the most pleasing thing for me. They probably wouldn't know what to do with themselves if you got out. <laughs> I want to join in. I want to join in. Thinking back to when you started, you know, what sort of thing would you tell your younger self now with the experience that you have today? Um, I think my younger, younger self, just that it is going to be a, a tough journey. But I always say that through them tough times, if, if you keep going, 
I always think of yourself a bit like a bow and arrow, you know, and all that pressure's mm-hmm. taking you back and you're losing games and things aren't going well. Just at that moment where you think you're going to give up, you're going to shoot into the air. Yeah. And that's what I think I'd tell my, myself that all them low moments are building up that pressure of where you are going to have them high moments. And when you get them high moments after so many lows, they, they mean so much. Like, I look at that Euros medal now, and without the tough days here at Platte Lane, I would never have got that gold medal. So mm. it's like all that journey added up to that one moment, really. The learning that you did along the way. Yeah, definitely. And and I think that's the thing for, for young players. I, I think sport is brilliant. Like, just for being outside... Like, how many friends I've made through sport. You learn about winning and losing as well. Like, sport can be tough, but life can be tough as mm-hmm. well, can't it? So, it's like if we shelter kids from that winning and losing feeling, when they get older and things happen in life, they're not going to be equipped for it. So, I think sport can just teach you so much. Yeah, I think so. That, like you say, are sort of transferable skills. Did you have to learn how to deal with? rejection the sense of failure or loss yeah and how was that for you yeah there's a lot of rejection along the way when I was 14 I got picked for England like under 16s when we on a camp and to be fair I wasn't good enough I wasn't at that level and I think when I look back that was a very pivotal moment in my career do I give up look mm-hmm. to do something else or, or do you keep going and I kept going and made my England debut four years later but yeah it, it is tough like there was moments I'd text my mum and go, I, I just don't think I'm good enough. We've, we've lost another game, training's not going well. But I learned to surround myself with people who would give you criticism and like constructive criticism. Yeah. They were really wanting the best for you. So over the years, I've had more Marley, Nick Cushion, Hope Powell. And I felt like there were great managers who really pushed me, but really like had my best needs yeah. at heart. And I think... That's the biggest thing. There's a lot of younger players now who they rely on social media for that validation. And it's quite a sad world to live in sometimes, whereas I think your coaches and your teammates are the most important people, really. Who were your idols at the time? Oh, growing up, I was obsessed with David Beckham. I've were got you? to admit that, yeah. I was just everything about him, the way he played. I managed to meet him once and he went round. He was probably the most famous footballer out there and he signed every single autograph. He stayed out there after an England game for hours and I always said if I ever got in the position, I used to practice my autograph when I was a kid actually, I think because I was bored in school sometimes. And I always thought, you know what, if anybody ever asks for my autograph, I'll I'll stay mm. till that last minute and, and sign them all because I think it's so important. If you can put a smile on someone's face just by scribbling your name on a piece of paper like David Beckham did for me that day and it's one of my most vivid childhood memories to think that I might be able to give a child even 10% of that then I think it's just such an important thing to do a lot of things going on in the world where people do need help and I just think if you're in a position to do it then it's a very important thing to me I really get the sense that you've always had a lot of perspective yeah yeah I think naturally but I did when I was at Everton before I came to Manchester I was surrounded by great role models uh, Rachel Brown Lindsay Johnson Geordie Handley players like that who were playing for England Mm. and they just had a really good perspective on life on values on morals so I think again you're learning from them aren't you Mm. as we're driving away from Platley and now I'm like 
I'm relaxed, I'm ready for my coffee. This is where I'd usually go for my coffee. Training would be done. I've got a big green tick and I could go and have a flat white. And I think that's the good thing about going for a coffee. It's like a social element to it as well because we'd all go and socialise, maybe talk about the training session. And plus as well, when I first went to Platte Lane, signing for Manchester City, I was with a lot of players that I didn't even know. So I think... Sometimes you don't get to know people through training and playing football. But I think going for them coffees and just saying, oh, have you got a brother? Have you got a sister? Mm -hmm. We had players that were coming from New Zealand, um, different places, and just getting to know about their life as well. I think Mm -hmm. then it would help when you stepped over that white line and you were going to play games. You felt like you knew your teammate a little bit better. That's really interesting. Mm. I think you're right. It sort of makes people more human, doesn't it? Or seeing that side of them. Yeah, and I think sometimes when it's like work, it's like football, it's like any sport, you can just go into training, you can play football or you can go into your job, do your job and just go home. But I think it's so important that you get to know your work colleagues, your teammates. Like, can you sit down and have a different conversation Mm. rather than work? And I think... It's so important that you can do that because everybody's a human being. They're not defined as a footballer. They're not defined as someone that works in an office or whatever job you have. That's not the definition of them as a person. I find people so interesting. I really do. Everyone has a story, don't they, really? Yeah. Okay, so we're not far... I guess memories around yeah. here as well from Etihad Stadium. Yeah. So driving along here, so basically when I first signed for Manchester City, I remember they had all these plans on PowerPoint presentations about this new facility they were building, this new academy, and how the women's team were going to move there. And if I'm being completely honest, growing up in girls' football, women's football, at that time, there was a lot of empty promises. Mm. So I would look at these models of this fantastic stadium that we're going to build, these facilities. And in the back of my head, there was always this element of doubt of, is it going to happen? Is it really going to happen? Are they just trying to sign you with these big plans just to get you a put pen to paper and you're going to stay at Lane for the whole time? But you know what? I was content with that. Mm -hmm. I was content with that. It was never the plans of this fantastic facility being built for the women's team, for the boys' academy, for the men's team. It was never that drew us to play for Manchester City. I guess you had a, a level of, of having to have different expectations as well. Yeah, definitely, especially in the women's game. Mm. There was talk all the time, we're going to play on better pitches when I was at previous clubs and you're going to get your own kit and it ended up being the men's old kit and, and stuff like that. Right. So my expectations kind of, in a sad way, had, had lowered throughout football. So when we've been at Platley in maybe about 18 months and then we'll be pulling up to it soon, it still gets yeah. us excited. And you see that little model that I got shown and it's come to life and it's probably even bigger and better than the plans that I got shown originally. Driving into here is just, honestly, it's just a completely different ball game. And this was when I realised the the turning point for women's football, I I was going to say, was there a moment Mm -hmm. that things where you really saw a a sliding doors moment, I guess? Yeah, I think when you drive into here, I remember our motto was one team together. Our time is now. I remember they had this big um, 
must have been about six foot, which is my height. And it was a big picture of me and it said, our time is now. Wow. And I remember looking that picture in the eyes and I was like, yeah, our time's now. Look, he is oh. a young Manchester oh, City. Look. Yeah, amazing. Oh, I would have waved, look, a young Manchester City Academy player. But look how happy she is. She's walking down the street in a kit and it just gives you that sense of I belong to something. So, yeah, that was probably my sliding doors moment when I seen we're all going to be treated the same, we're all going to be training at the same facility. And you'll see the difference now from, from Platt Lane to this facility. It's, it's amazing. And as you drive in, obviously, you'll see the academy is on the right and then you just look over the road and there's the Etihad Stadium joined by this bridge, um, wow. which is just, it's kind of like, you know what it reminds us of? Did you ever play the game Sims on the computer? Yes. And you could just build your own little world. There was another game as well, what was it, where you could have the, the theme park yeah, and everything. Yeah, that's right. And that's what wow. I feel like, I feel like this is what it's like. God, like, you can really feel the difference in in stature can't yeah you? you really can you really can and the way that I looked at it was like so when we first came to this when we were at Platley and we used to play at the Etihad but on a little athletics track right um there'd be a pitch in the center of an athletics track and that was our football pitch but now on the right hand side you see well, we've got a stadium it was like seats 8,000 people and it's like a proper stadium and driving up here on match day when I had a game and seeing the fans coming and them numbers would just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And look, this is John here. We'll see him in security. Oh. It's still the same guy that was at Platt Lane. Will he let us in? Yeah, think? he'll let us in. He'll let Yay, us in. how exciting. So he used to be the security guy at Platt Lane, so he'll definitely... You know what, I used him the other day because I went to a Man City men's game. I said, John, can I get a car park space? So, Good yeah. old John. <laughs> Hi, John. Well, how many years have you been here now? 12 years. 12 years, yeah, and yeah. mine's... Well, obviously, I'm not here now, but it was nine years yeah, ago. Yeah, you were the first there, Yeah. 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 did. Yeah, we did. Right Robinson. Yeah, I remember doing the bleep test on Right Robinsons. I don't know why this memory's just come to my head, but didn't we used to get like meat and stuff at yeah. Platt Lane? We used to get it off um, Abbey. Yeah. It was her brother used to work in a butcher's. Yeah, her brother used to work in a butcher's. Yeah, remember? And we'd be like. Yeah. I feel yeah. like we should put John in the back of the car. No, thanks, John. <laughs> Take Thank care. You. Bye, 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 bye. That's amazing. How is it to see old, very familiar faces? Oh, you he know, would have been really pivotal, I guess. Can you yeah. remember the first time coming in here? Yeah, I do. It was so special. It was literally so special. And do you know what? As as the years went on, this was just driving into work. And I'm not saying you take it for granted, but yeah. them days where you were just having a bad day, training wasn't going right. And I remember the days I went training, this became just the norm. Yeah. So, yeah, this this was just the norm of coming to work. It's mad, but, isn't it, how yeah. that sort of thing can happen? And, and yeah. yeah, it does, because I think as a human, you're just like, oh, this is mm -hmm. my reality now mm -hmm. and we whatever adapt. else. But it's kind of, I used to come back on a night and do coaching and I'd appreciate it so much more. It was yeah. all lit up and everything. And it's just an absolute, like 
fantastic facility. And what's it like seeing it through fresh eyes as well with the young girls? Yeah, like when you see them turning up and obviously the fact that a young six, seven-year-old can bump into Steph Horton mm. as she's coming out of training and think, you know what, that's who I can aspire to be. I'm training in the same place, the same facilities. It's just like a, a really good kind of full circle moment. But yeah, when I come back, it's just like, just like seeing your mates, really. And do you know what I'm looking at now? How many cars there is here? Look, these cars haven't even got car park spaces because of how busy it is now, because of how much it's grown. The staff's probably gone from having one physiotherapist when I was here to four, uh, having two coaches to four coaches. So it's like everything's just got bigger. But yeah, amazing memories. And you know what? I try and come back now and then. How much pressure is there being such a strong role model yeah I th you know what I think the pressure side of it I think especially not in terms of being a role model because I feel like you can just be yourself and hopefully I always did think about it in terms of just how you conduct yourself in and around especially when you're in facilities like mm. this like making sure but then also away from here as well so I wouldn't say that was a pressure because it's something that I enjoyed doing really just trying to set an example especially to younger players but in terms of putting pressure on yourself to perform especially when you're at a club like Manchester City I don't think I realised till I stopped playing how much pressure I did put myself really? under yeah but I still get little pressures now like I'm doing a little bit of the punditry and, yeah, and commentary right. and I felt like there was little bits of pressure to still I still want that test on a weekend so I do my training in the week and then a game day was do a fail do a win and then how do we go about it the next week so it's kind of like now I'll do a bit of punditry and I'm going to the producer did I do well is there anything I need to do better and they're probably like okay nobody really asks stuff <laughs> like this but I think it's that sports mindset of I want to know if I was good if I was bad and I don't mind either way but I, I want to improve I want to get better yeah. so that attention to detail. I never thought I was a logical, detailed person, but even stepping away from the sport, I've realised that it's just inside of you. You touched on the punditry. I mean, how different has that been and how much pressure does that put on you? Because it's such a different world. Yeah, it does put a lot of pressure on you because it's not something that I've trained for. No. Well, not specifically trained for, but I think without realising, because of playing football, your knowledge of the game, your natural knowledge... But you do doubt yourself because you're not doing it like every single week. Yeah, and it's um, such a different skill. Yeah, so it probably has been like a lot of pressure I've put myself under. But this is what I love about this place, like whether it be the groundsman, whether it be you've seen Jane Ludlow come out too. Jane Ludlow actually, so she's a coach now at Manchester City. Right. But when I was 18, 19 at Everton, she was a little bit older than me and I used to have to play centre midfield against her. Now, she's one of the best players Arsenal have ever had, no. ever. Like, I think she's still top goal scorer. And she was the midfielder that I wanted to be like. So if you look at moments like that, 18-year-old Jill was so scared of her. Really? And now we're sitting, having a chat. Hopefully, we're going to be doing some coaching together in the future. And it's just moments like that, like football unites you mm. for, forever, forever. So, Do you still feel like you're learning? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And you know what, in this time now where I've retired, I could probably just do the jobs that maybe um, put you under less pressure and stuff like that. But I'm still wanting to push myself. Like, 
the punditry and the commentary, it, it does push us. But I think if you're not being pushed, you're not going to grow. If I just live in my little comfort zone, I'm not going to get better. I'm not going to gain new skills. So mm. I'm constantly trying to push myself all the time. How do you cope with the feedback from uh, the trolls in the world? <laughs> of... <laughs> you know what? I'd, I've got really good at that, probably through... I think I was quite lucky that when I was 18, 19, that wasn't really the world that existed. So I didn't grow up with it. It's a lot different for younger players, younger people now. And you know what? Even older people have kind of got into that world where Mm. they want validation from Mm -hmm. people who don't even know them. So in terms of mindset-wise, I don't read a lot of things like... I always, my mum still doesn't know actually now I've retired, but I used to finish playing football and I used to always just have this one text off my mum and it'd be like, you did well today, Jill, because she was either watching on the telly or she was at the game. And some days I hadn't even done well, but she just, she would always say it. And as long as I read that text message, she probably doesn't even know this. I'd be like, all right, it's fine. I didn't have to check Twitter or anything like that. And that was all that mattered really. And You know what, I still do it now. I I finished on Match of the Day the other day and she'd sent us a message saying, I thought you did really well. Like, she'd never be negative in them moments, but it's kind of like I don't have to look outside for validation. I think if you can kind of get to know who your people are, who means the most to you, I think that's the main thing, really. You obviously have a strong relationship with your family. Yeah, family means, means everything to us, really. I think it's... It's important, isn't it? They've been there from the beginning. And it's nice now, like my nephews, my niece will will come to games that I've played. And obviously Wembley was such a magical moment. But speaking of Wembley, he is Etihad as well. Another fantastic stadium. So if you look to the left, we used to play on that. That's the pitch with the academy, with the running track around it. So that was where the women's games first were. And then I remember in our first couple of years, we got a chance to play at the Etihad against Everton, actually, which was special for me because it was both of my clubs. Yeah. And, yeah, stepping into that arena, it's it's really, really special. But that day, we probably didn't have that many fans there. I'd like to say about a 1,000. And then fast forward seven years of being at Manchester City, we played Manchester City v United, and I think we had 35,000 there. So I feel like I've I've lived through the growth yeah. um, of the game. But yeah, playing at the Etihad was always special. Well, always you've also special. been extremely pivotal in the growth of it. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think so. I think there's a generation of players before me who obviously worked very hard and got the game into a place where I was fortunate enough to be a full-time professional and to kind of experience that. But then I'd like to think that the likes of me, Steph Horton, Ellen White, that next generation have left the game in a better place for the, the next ones. And I think that's how women's football works, just passing on that baton, but making sure it's in a better place each time. Do you notice the difference in that because you're women as well? Do you think that there's a different, I would say, nurturing of the sport almost because yeah. of the feminine energy? I think we're just... I'm not saying the men don't care because of of course they do but Mm. we've had to go through an era where we've had to care a lot about the development whereas the men's game is at a point where a lot of them players now 
probably haven't had to have as big an input in getting to the, the game too there. Yeah. So I think as females, we're very conscious of, of trusting the process, making sure that we don't cut corners because in order for the game to be where it is now, there's been a lot of hard work gone into it beforehand. So we're very, very protective of, I suppose, the the status of the game and kind of the legacy that's yeah. been left behind because would like to think that we've had an input into it. It's lot took a lot of graft, a lot a lot of hard work, a lot of tears, and you don't want all of that to be wasted. So I don't know if it's about being a female in that sense. I think it's just the journey that the female game's been on. How is the journey going to continue? Yeah, it's going to be positive. It, it has to be, I think, especially on the back of the win of the Euros. We've, we've finally won something as a national team and still gives us this warm feeling inside. Maybe it's the heated seats are on in the car, <laughs> but it still kind of gives us that warm feeling that along with them successes is kind of, it's just left the game in a better place. What do you think you'd have done if football wasn't an option? Oh, probably being a barista, I think. Maybe. Do you think so? Maybe, You uh, were a, a keen athlete, weren't you? A keen runner? yeah. I got into running just through my love of football. So mm. you know what it's like. You go to senior school, you do one sport, you suddenly do every sport. And yeah, I remember taking part in my first race. It was a cross-country race and I won by like 30 seconds. And everybody was just like, wow, like, how did you win by that much? And I was like, I don't know, I just ran. I hadn't done any specific running training. So again, probably going back to them natural genetics, but... The fact that when I was younger, I didn't stop as a kid. I was, if Wimbledon was on, I, I got a tennis racket and played tennis. If it was the Ashes, I was playing cricket. Like I just loved being outside and, and loved sports. So, and are I you think, naturally gifted? Can you play any sport to a certain level? Um, naturally gifted in the sense that I could, but probably not at a, a great level. I think I was a good runner. I, I won the mini London marathon when I was fourteen. Um, but I also picked up glandular fever around that time because I was doing too much. I was racing on a Saturday morning and then I had a game on Saturday night and it was just too much. And I think that was my way of, well, my body's way of saying, look, Jill, you need to like stop a little bit. What are you going to do? And it was always going to be football. I think winning with a team rather than winning on your own, it's just such a special feeling. So football was always my first love and it was always going to be my last love as well. See, I'm getting excited now because yeah. I know we're going where the coffee is. And uh, <laughs> I'm hoping we've got 10 minutes where I can run out and get a flat white. I, I think we should insist on it. Yeah, I think we should. I think we should. Yeah, heading into town, you know what? Manchester's such a quirky place. And the fact that I used to stay in... So when I first went to Man City, they were sorting out my accommodation of where I was going to live. And I got put in an apartment in the centre of Manchester. And there were lovely apartments. It was me and um, Betsy Hassett. Right. And then Steph Horton and Karen Bardsley live next door. No. And, and I remember we'd go, to the, we'd go to the cinema. And I remember we went to see Wolf of Wall Street. And we went in on a Saturday and came out on a Sunday. The, the film was so long that I think it went on for three hours. It started at 10 o'clock on the Saturday night. And it didn't finish till the Sunday. And then... 
I think after we'd done cinema a few times, uh, we went to the theatre, so I think we're coming up to one of the theatres now on the left-hand side. That's right, so, we are. Yeah. So I've got a big love for the theatre. Do I you? Think. Yeah. Where did that come from? I don't know, to be honest. I think I think Eniola Lugo, who played for England, she was my roommate, I think she got us into the theatre. I think we went to see Bodyguard, and I've actually seen oh, that yeah. production about four or five times now. But he is the Palace Theatre as well. But there's something about seeing how much hard work goes into a production, and I just think how in unison everybody is how much they must have rehearsed everything to get that perfect performance and I think it reminds us of sport and I was going to say there are such parallels in there that. is there certainly is and I remember going to see Matilda once and halfway through the show Matilda had to go off and a new Matilda came on yeah and there was a break in the show and I remember likening it to football in my head like that Matilda had to be ready yeah she had to know our role she had to know everything and even though she didn't maybe get a, get the limelight every single night, she was ready to slot in. And it reminded us of how many times I had to be a substitute and you had to be ready if needed. So, yeah, there were so many like parallels to that about always being ready, always being prepared. Um, so, yeah, it's great to go past the theatre, definitely. So I guess if we're theatre land of uh, Manchester, yeah. we're in quite a, a hub area. Yeah, it's a lovely area down here, actually. So you have, like, not far from here, you have spinning fields, um, which I must admit, actually, I'm trying to make out that I'm this perfect athlete. Theatre and coffee. We did have a couple of nights out in spinning field. So <laughs> especially in them early days, just... But I think it was good for team bonding as well, like... I remember actually one night, and this was after... So when I first joined Manchester City, we had a three-year plan. And in that three-year plan, it was like, we're going to win the league, the FA Cup. And it seemed like so far out of our reach at the time. We were like just a bunch of girls being thrown together. And it was like, can we really be champions of England? But we did. We did it. We, the, the, we trusted the process. They built the team each season. And I remember that night out when we did that treble. And, oh, God, it didn't it didn't end well, to be honest. But I remember the girls, because we'd been so disciplined all season, we probably only had a couple of drinks. Someone was like, yeah, we'll get some shots. Obviously, we were allowed. We'd won the league. The yeah. season was over. I think it's justified. Yeah, I think it's justified. And, honestly, I remember me, Steph Horton, a couple of the others... And we're home by 10 o'clock because our bodies just <laughs> weren't used to the alcohol. So it was um, it was special, though. It, w- it was good just being like, look, we had this process for three years. Everybody give it the role and eventually, like, being able to kind of celebrate it as a team. You have to celebrate them wins. So I think yeah. in life in general, whether it's, it's work and you get a promotion, like, go out, have a meal, like, give yourself a pat on the back, else... You can just go through life looking to the next achievement, but for what? Yeah. So I think I definitely learned over the years to praise people and make sure that you do enjoy them moments. Do you feel proud of yourself? Um, yeah, I think when we're driving now, when we're reflecting on the journey and the tough times, the good times, I, I've just got a big smile on my face, to be honest. I'm, I'm proud, not of myself, I think just of the teams that I was part of, really, I'm I'm proud of them teammates. When I think about people like Steph Horton, who's still playing now, girls like Demi Stokes, who's one of my best friends, and 
I actually coached Demi when we were both up in Sunderland and now kind of to see the journey we've been on together. So I think I'm more proud of like Manchester City as a club and it's just been such an honour to to be part of such a great team and even the staff now, there's there's Mark Reese who worked there for years and I've got a few charity games coming up and me and him's been going and playing football and it's just them them connections maybe the club put you together but it's friendships that are last far past playing for Manchester City and I think that's the main thing really. I feel like you should all be um, putting an old people's home at the very end <laughs> yeah. of the days as a team. <laughs> Yeah. You can just continue that yeah. team reflection. Maybe the pressures we've put ourselves under, we might end up in there a little <laughs> bit earlier. A little bit earlier, maybe. You were, of course, awarded an MBE. Yeah. What, what was it like to get that call up? <laughs> yeah, I got that call whilst I was shopping in Marks and Spencers. Apparently, they couldn't get hold of us, and I was shopping for Christmas decorations um, with my partner Shelley and. I think I nearly dropped the decorations all over the floor. She was like, what is it, what is it? And I was like, I think I'm getting an MBE. She was like, you think or you are? And I was like, well, I am. So, yeah, getting that call, it was just such an honour, really. Obviously, it was for services to football and people that had got them previously, Casey Stoney, Kelly Smith, Farrah Williams, like my idols, Rachel Yankee. And it was just great to think that I was going to be on that list. Yeah. How was Will? (laughs) Well, I didn't actually get to meet him at that point because the day that I was meant to be going to pick up the MBA, COVID hit. So basically, I think I was meant to be going to collect it on the Thursday and we went into lockdown on the Wednesday. Yeah, so um, I've told this story before, but my MBA, I got a letter from just the Royal Mail sorting office and it was like your parcels at the Royal Mail sorting office. So I went to collect it and it was my MBE, just like literally in like a box. So, yeah, but I've had some special moments since. Prince William were kind of, our paths crossed a few times through football. Right. Um, the first one being we were opening a pitch up in Sunderland and I accidentally slipped and wiped him out. So he always, <laughs> he always remembered us for that girl that took him out whilst playing football. <laughs> and then through tournaments, he would always come and greet the England team. So when I retired, he actually wrote us a, a lovely letter. It was handwritten as well, just saying, like, well done on your career. So I would love for him to present my MBA maybe in the future, but I feel like I'm being greedy. I've got this letter and it's one of my most prized possessions, really. You must have met some interesting people through your journey. Yeah, really interesting people, actually. Um, Has anybody surprised you or (laughs) You know what, in in a good way, like I've I've met my heroes, really. Frank Lampard, David Beckham, Stephen Gerrard. I, I did the England game with Stephen Gerrard recently and just lovely down-to-earth people and sometimes they say don't meet your heroes don't they but Mm. they definitely haven't disappointed us in any way but them are the players that I grew up watching and to think that I'm standing next to them talking about football it's kind of I've definitely had a lot of pinch me moments Mm. a lot of pinch me moments being on Ant and Deck and obviously doing the jungle the jungle was a lot of pinch me moments in general like just sitting next to boy George washing dishes and he's singing Karma Chameleon. So I'm like, surreal. <laughs> what is going on? What is going on? But you know what? Through the jungle, I've made so many good friends. Like Owen will be a friend for life. And again, when I talk about this journey and 
memories, I think what you'll find that I keep saying is, yeah, they're a friend for life. So, yeah, I think them are the most special things that come from this journey 100%, the people that I've met and the friends that I've made, really. Was there anyone in the jungle that surprised you? Yeah, lots of them, really. I think I didn't... I knew kind of Sue, who's Eileen in Coronation Street, and I was a bit starstruck when I seen her because I'm a massive Coronation Street fan, I really am. So I didn't want to be like, oh, my God, it's Eileen. And <laughs> I got to know her for, for Sue, and she's a very different person. But, yeah, Sue, Charlene, like, we got on really well. Uh, Chris Moyles as well, I got on really well with Chris, and I don't think they actually showed a lot of mine and Chris's relationship mm. But he was so caring and so kind. Babatunde, just the most chilled out guy ever. Yeah. But yeah, we got on really well as well. So yeah, I think probably everybody surprised us to a certain point because I think we had a really good group that just seemed to get on and that's what made it really nice as well. It definitely had that like home away from home feeling. Was it sort of better or worse, the experience, than you expected? Um, it was better upon reflection for the experience that I had but it was more difficult in there than I thought like you don't want to whinge about being hungry because there's a lot of people in the world a lot less fortunate than, than we are but you didn't get a lot of food so you are depleted of energy a lot of the time so that was difficult um, missing home as well yeah. that was difficult not necessarily not seeing people because I was used to being on England camp where I wouldn't see people for four or five weeks. But you had your mobile phone and I could check in with Shelley and say, are you OK? I could check in with my family, my grandma. I ring them most like most days. Right. So that was difficult, just the element of not knowing how people were at home. Yeah. And also you think like if I'm coming across as a bad person then are they getting grief back home? Yeah. But I think you just lived in this bubble. I forgot about the cameras. You forget that, like, 10 million people are watching yeah. the show until you get out and you're walking down the street. And some people will just come and give you a hug because I feel like they got to know you whilst you were in the jungle. Um, and it's lovely. It really is. I love having conversations with people. But when you're in there, you just forget about that, really. Are there any other reality shows that you would do? Well, I turned down Love Island six times, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, really. I don't know if it's like a bit of a one-off thing, is it? Um, I'm quite good at ice skating, so people keep saying you should do dancing on ice, but I don't know. I'm not somebody that plans for that next step. Did I ever think, if you'd asked us this time last year that I was going to, or told us, I was going to be retired in July, mm. I was going to be living in a jungle in November, mm -hmm. I would have said, you're lying, so... I don't know. I don't know what this year is going to hold, but I think if I can just kind of keep being true to myself, keep doing things that I enjoy, um, then I'm sure it, it should turn out to be a good journey. So we'll see. But at the minute, if you ask this truthfully, I'd probably say, is a reality TV show one-off? I, I don't know. I wouldn't go in the jungle again. Definitely not. I noticed that you have some really lovely tattoos. And I yeah, a lot what, of tattoos. What they meant to you. Mm, it's a very good question. So my tattoos, I once read something and they were like, your body should be your journal and you should decorate it with kind of memories throughout your life. And I always thought that was a good way of looking at tattoos. So my first one I got was actually my first call up in 2007 to a World Cup in China. 
Um, so I've actually got a Chinese symbol on my ankle that means success. And my older sister's also got a Chinese symbol on her ankle, so it kind of had a bit of a double meaning. I wanted to be like her. I was going to my, my first tournament. And then, yeah, all my kind of tattoos reflect sport and life. So then the one on my wrist is actually means a lot. So it's Whitney Houston lyrics. So it's step by step, day by day, mile by mile. And that was before I went to the 2009 European Championships. And I kind of, I think that quote has actually defined my life without realising it. Just, I don't long-term plan, as I said. So it's like everything step by step, day by day. And then the mile by mile is... I feel like I've run a lot of miles across the journey. So even though this tattoo, it's it's not great in terms of the quality now, but it does mean a lot. Um, I've got the Olympic rings on my side. Been fortunate enough to represent Team GB 2012 and 2021. And then I've got my nephews and my niece's name on my foot. Obviously, they mean the world to us. So when they were born, I got the names and then someone said to us, what about if you have kids and then your brother and your sister have more kids? And I was like, God, I'm just going to have all these random yeah. names over my body. But that symbolises family. And then, yeah, my most recent one, I do have others, but my most recent one is um, a lioness on my arm. And it's got the, wow. the date that we won the Euros and also 161, which is the amount of caps that I got for England. So, yeah, I never thought I was cool enough to have a big tattoo on my arm, but... I was going to get it on my side and Shelley was like, Jill, it's such an important moment. Like, you need people to see it. So, yeah, that one means a lot. And sometimes if I just glance down and I see this lioness looking at us, it's, a, it's just a proud moment of, of what it represents, really. We're just on the motorway at the moment. Yeah. You must have had a, a lot of long old journeys that you've taken in your life. Yeah. This is why now, if I ever go in the car, people class like a three-hour journey as a long journey. For me, that's just a normal journey because it was just so... I remember getting that first car and signing for Everton and I literally set off from Sunderland to Liverpool with a road map. Remember road maps? Yeah. And I was like, right, I'm going down the year 19 then the year one, then the M62, and I just remembered these three roads. So it's it's mad that, yeah, a lot of my life has been spent on the motorways. What do you do to pass the time? <laughs> you know what I used to do? This is quite embarrassing, but when I was 18 or 19, I hadn't played for England at this point, but I used to practice getting interviewed. So I'd be like, and I could do any interview I wanted, so I'd be like, Jill, you had a good game today. My, my cassette player was always broke, so it was just three hours of just me and my thoughts. And I used to be like, Jill, you had a good game today. What did you think of the game? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I thought my team played really well. And I used to just interview myself, oh, which is so sad to great. admit, isn't it, really? That's sort of like a, a, a bizarre manifestation there as well, isn't it? Maybe. I think I just started doing interviews at Everton and I thought, Jill, you need to get a little bit better, so... Obviously, well, I, I think I'm okay talking now. I'm not very... I don't have a lot of long words, but I'm very comfortable <laughs> talking because us doing this now is probably me just talking to myself when I was 18-year-old. <laughs> but you're better company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this road, this brings back a lot of memories. Does it? A lot of memories, yeah. So when I talk about when I first signed for City and we got put in these 
this posh apartment for about a month because we're trying to sort out our accommodation. Mm -hmm. So basically, along here, we'll hit where my first, like, proper, I suppose, place that I could call home, really, because the apartment I was in was more like living in a hotel, really. So Betty Hassett, she was from New Zealand, and we just got put together in this kind of little apartment. And when I say little apartment, it's like a little flat, and I don't want to sound like I'm not grateful, but... It was the smallest place ever. It literally had a really small living room, two bedrooms, one for her, one for me, a bathroom and a tiny, tiny kitchen. This all feels a lot leafier around here. Where are we? Yeah, so we're in, we're in Seal. God, this is bringing back so many memories. So, yeah, basically, if you turn left here, we'll go into where I lived. Oh, no, it might be further up. Sorry, I'm getting the directions wrong. It's been a long time since I lived here. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that was my bad. Yeah, so if you just go further up here, so we're in Seal and it's got lovely canals. Yeah. And basically there's just this little turning off the main road um, which takes you into the flats where I was. And opposite it was um, an old people's home. I loved the area. People were really friendly. And as I say, we could just go to the canal and, and go for walks. Again, used to go for a walk along the canal for a coffee so this is a little petrol station opposite and if I forgot to get like my meals and stuff like that I would quickly run over and get some veg and just a little bit of greenery here to the right and when the sun was out I used to just go and take a, a blanket or something and just sit in the sun nice so yeah wow this is crazy looking at this Brooklyn's Crescent you know what is mad though is I pull up here it doesn't remind us of having to go and do training because now if I was to pull up at my house in Warrington, it would remind us of going for runs and stuff. But because we were so well looked after at Man City, I didn't have to do any extra training. So when I came back here, so this is it on the right. So if you look at that, I always think it looks like where old people would live, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does a bit. It does. So this is the, I'm guessing this is still the old people's home on the left. Yeah. yeah, this is still it. So yeah, so we're outside a big block of flats. Yeah, east view, and that was on that middle floor. That mm. that was mine there on the on the middle what, floor. Literally there where the yeah. bird boxes are now. Yeah, it's got bird boxes. I definitely didn't have that when I was there. <laughs> we're now on our way to box to box. Yes, box to box. Tell us how this came about. You know what? It's actually mad that the shop is so close to where I first started living in Manchester because yeah. this isn't central Manchester by any means. So it's kind of like my journey's done another full circle. It's mad actually because Manchester is a big circle board yeah. on that M60 and I felt like I feel like that's what my life's done in Manchester. But yeah, the coffee shop, obviously I've spoken about my love for coffee naturally and then my partner moved from Birmingham area up to Manchester and COVID hit pretty soon after that. So she didn't have a job at the time, but I remember thinking, like, just let her get settled in. Obviously, it's a big thing, isn't it, a move house, but she's a bit of, like, a workaholic like me, which I don't think it's a good combination to have sometimes because you can both be so yeah. fixated just on your jobs. And she wanted to get back to work. And at the time of COVID, the only thing you could really do once the rules guidelines started to kind of loosen up a little bit was you could walk and have a coffee. 
So we found a local coffee shop and they said, oh, well, do you want to do some hours here? And she enjoyed it, to be honest, she really did. And I remember coming back on the first day, she didn't really know that much about coffee, but she'd been making the coffees. And I was like, that's a really big thing. Like, I think she probably wouldn't admit it, but she was pretty good at it. And then they were looking to open up a second shop, like franchise their shop out because it was doing well. And she was going to run it. And then I was like, why don't we just do ours? But very, very naive to that, to be honest. We were very naive to the fact that, like, you lease the property, but you have to buy the business. So a lot of businesses to buy are, are very expensive. And then randomly, I feel like it was just meant to be about five minutes from here. We met a lovely lady who was looking to do, she'd had a coffee shop and she was looking to go to university, go back to university, and she was looking for a quick sale, and it was a lovely little coffee shop, and as soon as we walked in, we kind of fell in love with it, and we were like, right, we'll buy it. Wow. So it did all happen very quickly. I think I nicked off to football, and Shelley ended up working like 93 days on her own. So I don't yeah. imagine that was in the plans. No, it definitely wasn't. <laughs> I think she held that again. I think she still holds that against us now, to be honest. But you know what? We've we've built up a, a lovely little shop. You'll see the community when we we'll go buy it. But again, it's all about that sense of community and people just being able to to come and have a coffee and chat. We have a lot of elderly customers as well, and it's just nice to be able to pour them a coffee and. You see a lot of people catching up with old friends, catching up with family. We've had babies that have just been born come into the coffee shop and now they're two-year-old and you've seen them grow and eventually they can have a little baby chino and stuff like that. So, yeah, it sounds dead cheesy, but there's so many good stories just within that coffee shop. You've had some quite interesting guests as well, haven't you? Mm. (laughs) Yeah, so I had to be that annoying person at the beginning where you go on Instagram look at kind of the celebrities that live in Manchester and try and get them to pop down for a coffee. So, to be honest, the Manchester City football players were really supportive. We've had Kevin De Bruyne, Phil Foden, just pop in and have a coffee. And to them, it might seem such a little thing, but if they then put a little post on their yeah. Instagram and just say, oh, I've been to Box the Box for a coffee, then you get a lot of people like, oh, if Kevin De Bruyne can have a coffee there, then then I will. So... I'll be forever grateful to them players for giving us the opportunity to kind of serve them a coffee and then for them to promote the shop as well because it's hard starting up a business and we'll realise that in the first year as well. Yeah, I imagine there are things that you came up against that you, there was just no way of knowing them before yeah, there's you lots actually of things. do it. And there's still people now who they don't want to make it easy for you and I suppose that's just like anything with business isn't it as as you grow there's still some people who kind of want to make things difficult and I still don't understand that because it goes back to the point of wanting to help wanting to help small businesses I've always been someone that would help people in general but you also have to realize that not everybody thinks like you in the world and mm-hmm. I think you've got to still trying to bring try and bring the best version of yourself and sometimes when you meet them people who in my opinion, maybe aren't very nice. You've got to try and kill them with kindness. And again, that's probably something I've learned through sport. But at the same time, on the flip side, we've had so many people that want to support the shop, 
that have kind of introduced us to other people. We do a walking group on a Wednesday, and when we first started it, the local council would buy these five, six people a coffee, and then they'd go for a walk and come back, have the coffee, and now that group must have about 20, 25 people, and they've joined the local choir, they come in, they've made their own friends, so it's kind of nice just to see how the shop's grown, but also people have grown within the shop. Um, We've had people who've been going through really tough times, have opened up over a coffee, and now we class them as friends, so yeah, the coffee shop, it's kind of, it's like a big ball of happiness, there's a lot of hard work goes on behind it, but when you can sit there, have a coffee and call kind of your customers' friends, it's it's very special. And there's a real, I mean, you work in there. So it's such yeah. a, it's sort of, as an observer, it's an eye-opening, ear-opening thing to hear that as yeah. an ex-England footballer, <laughs> you work in the coffee shop, you know, but that's so grounding and humbling. Yeah, I wanted to call the coffee shop Grounded, actually. Would have been a good name, that wouldn't Would have been it? a great name. Grounded Coffee. What in, did inspire the name? The name Box to Box came from, because I played midfield, so I did a lot of box to box running. And again, that was just me and Shelley sitting in the front room of the house, scribbling down ideas. I actually wanted to call it Gelatis. And Shelley was like, well, that's all about you. And I was like, yeah, it is. But I suppose box to box still kind of refers to my football career, but it's not in your face football. Yeah. So when you go in, I sound like I'm being big headed here, but somebody has actually painted a mural of me on the on the wall. And it's a really nice image, actually. But yeah, I think we need to get one of Shelley in there as well. Is Shelley as passionate about football as you are? <laughs> Not about football, so I met Shelley because her sister was my roommate at England, so Rachel Unit, absolute legend of the game, and I think Shelley got dragged to a lot of football as a kid, (laughs) so she kind of grew up being a bit sick of the sport, and then she probably thought, oh, I don't have to go to football again, and then met me, and then had to do it all over again, so yeah, she's been very supportive, she really has, but I'd be totally lying to you if I said that, she loves football. So, yeah, there's the shop on the right, box to box. So, yeah, if you look in the centre of the name, that's like a little centre circle. Yeah. But people don't realise that. As I say, it's not in-your-face football, which is good. Yeah, it is a good sign, actually. Paid a lot of money for that sign. How has it been to... um to go to the old haunts you know what it's been really good because I've done a few podcasts recently but I feel like this has brought out different stories because when you're doing podcasts you're sat in a room and you're just going from your memory but as we're driving around I'm like oh my god I just think of traffic when I hit here oh my god I think of Betsy doing yoga when we're there as soon as I met John, I was like, why am I just thinking of the butchers? But it's because we used to get our chicken and stuff like that. And then we all used to go home and cook our dinner. So it's been nice just to drive round, and it does rejog your memory, doesn't it? So I think that's why Manchester will always be a very special place to me because there's so many memories here and so many more to make as well. It's been such a privilege to go through that experience with you oh thank you thanks well you made it very easy i've lost my voice too much talking so i do apologize it's time for a coffee yeah shall we go for brunch yes let's. yes brunch <laughs> sounds good to me 
Thanks so much to Jill Scott for giving me such a great insight into her life in Manchester. You can see exclusive footage of The Drive by heading to the Auto Trader socials. Look at the episode page for links. You'll also be able to see the Mercedes G-Class that Jill loves so much. And if you're looking for a new vehicle, you can find your perfect match at autotrader.co.uk. This is a new show and I'd love you to follow on your favourite podcast platform. Like what you hear? Rate and review and make sure you tell your friends so you don't miss an episode. Show on the Road is a fresh air production for Auto Trader. The executive producer is Annie Day and the producer is Ollie Seymour. Listener.